in the wake of such a storm, we have questions. And we are right to ask them. We are, we are right to ask the questions that come to mind. Most notably, we want to know where was God on Wednesday night as that storm ripped through Cleveland and, and Bradley County? How could an all-powerful, all-loving God allow such devastation? I'm not going to give you a completely satisfactory answer to that question this morning. I couldn't. I really don't think anybody could. But I do want you to hear what Scripture says. Scripture speaks to those who are asking that very question. And this morning, I want us to hear three of the most important things that Scripture says about our God's relationship to the storms that ravage our lives. And we're going to begin in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. This is the text that I read with my children on Wednesday night as we were putting them to bed. Because I wanted them to hear what it has to say so that they might sleep. Little did I know how important its lessons would be for us, for all of us, in the aftermath of the storm. So let us pray and ask God for His grace to hear what His Word has to say to us this morning. Pray with me. Father God... Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to believe. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? That is the reading of God's word. So obviously lots of things that we could learn from this account. But the thing that I want you to see this morning is that the storm is not beyond God's control. Jesus was asleep on the cushion and the disciples began to become very afraid for their lives. Now these were seasoned sailors. These were men who knew how to be on the sea and yet the storm was such that it scared them literally to death. They feared for their lives. And so they come to Jesus and they wake Him and they say, Do you not care that we are perishing? Now at that moment, they were not asking for a miracle. They, they weren't asking Jesus to calm the storm. We, we know that from the reaction when He actually does that. They were just saying, Hey, get up. You know, grab a bucket. Help us get some of the water out of the boat. You need to be participating in this. You need to help us survive. We're all going to have to pull together or the ship's going to go down. But Jesus' response is much different than what they were expecting. 
He turns to the storm and he rebukes it. He says, peace, be still. And immediately, immediately, the storm calms. I heard one mother this morning telling the story about uh, her, her daughter, you know, praying that they would survive the storm. And so when they got through, the, the little girl proudly pronounced, that was my prayer. That was my prayer. Don't you know? I'm the one uh, who, who prayed. And in a sense, she's right. The prayers of the righteous are effective. But it's not our prayer. It's not our strength. It is the God to whom we pray. It is His strength that calms the storm. And this is true of every storm that we encounter. And it's true of the literal storms that, that ravage our lives. It's true of the storm that, that was here Wednesday night. But it's true of every storm that you have ever experienced in your life. God is always in control. God is always God. He is always on the throne. He is always working all things according to the counsel of His will. He is always God. He is always in control. Now, for some people, that is a problem. You know, that, that is the very uh, reason that they object. They say, if God is in control, how could He let this Happen. If God is in control, why didn't He stop it? If God can say with the word, peace be still, why didn't He do it? Such people often take comfort in the idea that maybe God wasn't in control. Maybe God didn't do it. Maybe it was just more than He could handle. You know, He's a really big God and He can do a lot of things, but He can't do everything. Maybe this was just more than He could handle. But what comfort is that? What comfort is it to think that the God that we serve sometimes gets overwhelmed? What comfort is it to think that, that the God that we serve sometimes has more on His plate than He could handle? That, yeah, He can do a lot, but He can't do everything. That is certainly not the God that is revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. That is certainly not the God who is in heaven and does whatever He pleases. When I was a kid, I made frequent trips to the ER to get stitches. I was always jumping into something or falling off something. And, and some do, a dozen times or more, I was on my way to the ER to, to go get stitches. And I remember one time in particular, we were out of town. Uh, we were uh, somewhere, um, I don't know where, we were somewhere not in Chattanooga. And, and we were on our way, you know, to maybe my grandparents' house. And we had stopped to have a picnic lunch. And my brother and I, you know, as we did only sometimes, we got in a fight. And we were we were fighting on top of a merry-go-round, which is not a smart thing to do. And, and you know, he was bigger than me. And I got pushed. And I was the one who ended up under it. And I was the one who ended up needing Stitches, And so they, they took us to that uh, emergency room. And when we got there, uh, the doctors examined me and they looked at the wounds and they said, okay, we're going to have to tie him down uh, so that we can, you know, stitch him up in all the different various places that he needs to be repaired. And my dad was like, no, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not going to put my son in a straitjacket so that you can stitch him up. I'll tell him to be still and he'll be still. The doctor was like, I don't think so. He's like, no, just listen. I'll tell him. And my dad just looked me in the eye and he said, listen, this is going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. But you have to be still. You have to be still because they need to do this to fix you. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I can tell you that I took comfort in the fact that knowing that my, God, my dad was in control of the pain. He was letting it happen on purpose. He knew it was going to hurt. He told me it was going to hurt. But he said, listen, you need this. 
And it was that assurance that he was somehow in control. He wasn't the one inflicting the pain. That was the doctor's. But, but yet he was in control of it. It was that knowledge that he was in control of it that made the pain bearable. Knowing that he thought it was in my best interest allowed me to endure. Because I'm not a big fan of pain. I, I don't like to hurt. But knowing that it was necessary allowed me to endure. I want to suggest to you this morning that it ought to be the same with the storms that we encounter. Knowing that our God is in control ought not to be a problem. It ought to be a comfort. We may not know why God allows storms, but we know who allows storms. And we know that He is our God. We know that He is our Savior. We know that He is the one who loves us. We know that He is the one who works all things together for our good. And therefore, we ought to be able to endure trusting Him. And this is true not only when He stands up and calms the storm, not only when He stands up and, and provides deliverance as He did for so many people. We were talking in Sunday school about the, the different just sort of um, you know, idiosyncrasies, the, the different little uh, coincidences that, that, that allowed people to escape more damage than they had. But there are some this morning who are saying, we lost more than just our stuff. We lost a loved one. And even for them, they need to remember that God was in control, even when God decides not to quiet the storm. This is the faith that we see expressed by Daniel's friends uh, when they faced the fiery furnace. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I won't have you turn there this morning. We don't have time. But, but just remember that story. Now here the king had set up the great altar, had set up the great idol, and he had called all of his uh, subjects to bow down. And here Daniel's three friends said no. We're not going to bow down to that. And, uh, you know, the king was kind of friends with Daniel, and he kind of felt bad about these, you know, throwing Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace. So he said, listen, I'll give you another chance. And still they said, no, we're not going to bow down. Our God is able to deliver us from the furnace. But then they said something telling. Then they said, but even if he doesn't, yet will we trust him. Even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to your idol. Even if he doesn't, we're not worshiping anyone but him. That is the faith of one who knows God, of knows the God who is in control, even when he chooses not to calm the storms. This morning, I ask you to take comfort in that knowledge. Comfort yourself with the knowledge that your God, your God who loves you, is in control, even when he doesn't calm the storm. Because if he doesn't calm it, if he allows it to ravage you, he has a reason. We may not know it. We may not understand it. We may not like it. But we can rest in His provision. We can know that He loves us. Because He has shown that He loves us beyond any reasonable doubt through His Son, Jesus Christ. Later in this service, we're going to come to the Lord's table. A table that, that looks back to and remembers the Lord's death. Where Paul says that this is the great demonstration of God's love. This is your assurance that He loves you. This is His assurance that He is working all things together for your good. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us everything we need? That is our first assurance this morning, that the storm is not beyond God's control. The second thing that I want you to see in God's Word about the storms is that they are not beyond 
God's grace. People sometimes think that the people who suffer, suffer because they somehow deserve it. You know, that, that God allowed the storm to be a punishment. We heard this particularly after something like Hurricane Katrina. How many different people did you say, well, I know why God might have hit New Orleans. Have you ever been there? You know, oh, after the, even the Twin Towers, you know, well, I know why God allowed that to happen to New York. You know, all those greedy materialists. But Jesus tells us as plainly as he can, that's not a good way to think about the storms. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13. To Luke 13, verses 1 to 5. Luke 13, we read, There were some present at that very time who told him, that is, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of uh, Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Notice, Jesus doesn't say that that we don't deserve our suffering. Jesus doesn't say that we don't deserve to be punished. We do. Jesus readily acknowledges it, but that's that's exactly his point. His point is that we all do. In fact, we deserve much worse. One of the points that has been just driven home to me in the last few days is that none of us deserves favorable weather. None of us deserves a temperate climate. None of us deserves even our next breath. These are all ours by the gift of God. These are all ours by His grace. What we deserve is nothing other than His wrath. What we deserve is is for our lives to be disintegrated, for our lives to be torn asunder. What we deserve is the storm. But most of the time, it's not what we get. Jesus says that His Father in heaven shows His grace by sending the rain, the good rain, upon both the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus asked, do you think that these Galileans, or these 18, do you think that they were worse sinners? No, they were not. They were not undeserving But they were not more deserving either. In Psalm 73, Asaph tells us that uh, the wicked sometimes flourish while the righteous suffer. In fact, this is what had caused his foot to almost slip as he he looked out and he saw the, the, the righteous and their lives weren't going well. The people of God, the people who trusted in Him, the people who, who daily relied upon Him, their lives weren't going well. And here were these wicked who had no regard whatsoever for God. The, the, the wicked who, who ran their businesses corruptly, who treated the poor contemptuously. Here were the wicked and they were flourishing. They were sleek and fat, which in that day was a good thing. You know, this, is, this, is, uh, this bewildered him. He said, my foot had almost slipped. I didn't understand why. And the truth is, We don't always know why. But we do know that it will not be forever. 
It will not be forever that, that, that God's righteous suffer while the wicked flourish. We know that one day He will put the world right and He will reward those who put their trust in Him. But in the meantime, we wonder. We wonder why. Why, God? Why do you do things this way? We can't always answer that question, but Jesus teaches us that we can say that the storm is not a pun- necessarily a punishment upon our sin. It is not a punishment that could not be overcome by God's grace. The truth is, if we are in Christ, if we have received and rested upon Him for our salvation as He has offered to us in the Gospel, then our punishment was poured out on Him in full. That is the cup that Jesus was talking about in the garden. The the cup that He was so fearful to drink, but ultimately willing to drink upon the cross. It was the cup of God's wrath against our sins. So that Paul can say in Romans, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no wrath. Whatever storms God brings into your lives, while they are painful, God intends them for the good of His people and not for their harm. God is not punishing His people. In fact, the, the, the storms that you experience, they may have nothing to do with your sin whatsoever. That was true in the case of Job. God may have chosen you to suffer precisely because you are righteous. He may have chosen you to suffer precisely because you do trust Him so that, so that your faith can be an example to others, so that, so that your uh, steadfastness in the trial can, can strengthen a weaker brother, so that the people around can see the way that God's people respond in love for one another. We don't always know. We, we can't always figure it out. But we can know that God intends good for His people. Even when, even when the storm is a consequence of our sin, even when it is a response, it is discipline and not punishment. It is God working for our good and not for our harm. We can say with confidence that the storm is not beyond God's grace. And then finally, the third thing that we can say about the storm is that the storm is not beyond God's concern. Even when we know that God is in control, and even when we know that God is working for our good, it still hurts. It still hurts, and we still groan, and and we wonder, does God care about the pain that I'm experiencing? Does He care that it hurts so much? Well, turn with me to John Chapter 11, another a familiar account. When you were a kid, you may have memorized the shortest verse in the Bible. You know, when, uh, when you get credit for the different verses that you memorize, every kid's like, okay, the one verse I know I can memorize. I can memorize John 11:35 because, you know, it's only two words. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. It just says simply, Jesus wept. Well, it's not only a short verse. It is a profound verse. You remember the context that here is Jesus. He is on his way to the tomb of of Lazarus. The sisters had called him. Jesus had intentionally delayed. Lazarus had had died. And and now as, as Jesus comes to the tomb, we see in verse 35 that he weeps. Now Jesus knows. He knows what he's about to do. He he knows that he is about to to call to Lazarus, come out, and that Lazarus is going to respond. He knows that that in a few moments things are going to be put back right, and yet still he weeps 
as he approaches the term. He is moved by the suffering of his people. Jesus weeps with those who weep. Our God mourns when we hurt. In fact, our suffering is a major part of the reason why Jesus was there in the first place. I know it's not the total picture. I know it's not the the total story. but, But recognize that, that Jesus was sent by the Father in large part because of our suffering. It's a theme that we see repeated throughout the Old Testament. Uh, as the people of, of Israel languished in Egypt, God knew about their suffering and He was moved. Throughout the book of Judges, as, as the people of Israel are um, uh, enslaved and, uh, and oppressed by various different nations, God hears of their suffering and He is moved to mercy. In the exile, later in their history, when God hears about the suffering of His people, He is moved to mercy. When he see, God sees his people suffering, he has compassion for them. He feels, he grieves, he weeps with those who weep. Now many people understand this. We, we understand what it means to be moved by people who are, who are suffering. We've seen it all over Cleveland the last few days. People are moved. People, I can't tell you how many people drove by and talked and said, Hey, can we give you some water? Can we, can we give you some food? Can we even just help? Even as I was leaving the Wright's house yesterday, there were people I didn't know, I never met before. They came up and said, hey, listen, we've been driving around, we've been trying to find a place to help. Is there anything that we can, can do? People are moved by suffering. We understand that, but God's compassion goes beyond this. God is moved not just when the, the affliction is from without, but even when it's self-afflicted. God is moved even by the suffering that we experience, that we have brought on ourselves because of our rebellion against Him. Why is this world the way that it is? It is the way that it is because we as a, as a race have, have rebelled against our King. Now that doesn't mean that every suffering that we go through is, is related to a particular sin in our lives. But listen, it does mean that everything we experience is because of sin. The brokenness we experience is because of our rebellion against Him. We have shot ourselves in the foot, so to speak. We have messed up our own lives. And therefore, we have to make, we've made our bed and we must lie in it. And yet still God is moved. God is still moved, even like he's like a father who sees his his child destroying his life and yet is still moved with compassion. But it goes even beyond that, because not only is God moved with compassion for his child who is destroying his life, but he's moved with compassion for his child who's destroying his life, even as his child hates him, even as his child spits in his face, even, even as his child seeks to destroy him. It's like David and Absalom. David moved with compassion for his son Absalom, even as Absalom is seeking his life, even as, as Absalom is leading the mutiny against his kingdom. God sees our suffering, and he is moved to mercy. He is moved with compassion. And it is because God is moved by the mess that we've made of our lives that he sends his son in the first place, that He sends His Son into our suffering, that He might lead us out of our suffering. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. Another familiar text. But just listen, listen to these verses. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 2. It says, For He grew up before Him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should Look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Jesus comes and enters into our suffering precisely so that he can lead us out of our suffering. The promise of the gospel is that God through Christ is putting this world right. What we experience in the last days is, is full testimony to the brokenness of the world that we live in. This is not the way things are supposed to be. This is not the way God's creation is supposed to work. God knows that. And He is grieved by it. And He is doing something about it. He is in the process of putting the world right. And in the meantime, He is strengthening us to endure whatever it is we have to endure, that we might continue to bring Him glory and might bring others in to know the assurance of His love and the peace that surpasses understanding, to know the comfort with which we were first comforted. I can't tell you exactly why God allows storms. I can't exactly tell you why He allows suffering. But I can tell you beyond any doubt that it is not beyond His control that it is not beyond His grace, and it is certainly not beyond His concern. Therefore, we can trust Him not only to bring it to an end someday, but we can trust Him to get us through it. We can trust Him to give us His peace in the midst of it, that peace that surpasses understanding, that, that peace that makes no sense to the world, that peace that, that is a sure and certain hope when the world sees no reason for hope. And we can trust Him to give us His wisdom, when you find yourself in the aftermath of a storm, you often have no idea what to do. You just stand there and say, well, what, what should I do? James says, ask him for wisdom and he will give it to you. Ask him for wisdom and he will lead you. Entrust yourself to him and he will take you where he wants you to go. He will give you his wisdom. And not only will he give you your wisdom so that you know what to do, but he will strengthen you according to the glorious riches of all his might that you might have the strength to do what He shows you to do, that he, you might have the strength to continue putting one foot in front of another. And in that, as you move forward trusting Him, you will be bringing glory to His name. You will be serving His kingdom. You will be doing precisely that, which you were created and which you were redeemed to do. And because we know that He will get us through, because we know that He will give us everything we need to continue putting one foot in front of the other. That is one reason we call this good news. Now, do you believe that? Amen. Pray with me. Father God, great is Your faithfulness. Father, even in the midst of the storm, we will choose to say, Blessed be Your name. Father, may these truths dwell richly in our hearts today, this coming week, and forever. To the praise of your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.